Warning, this podcast contains strong language, graphic nudity, and depictions of extreme stupidity and is meant only for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Or not, you do you. Hi everybody, welcome to the worst podcast on Mars, also known as Manual for the Animals. I'm Amanda. I'm Evan. And this is the podcast where we talk, wait, hold on, back up. You didn't give me a fun name. You just gave me your real name. That's not fun. You're not fun. Are you okay? You're not fun either. God damn it. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk music, where we give you the uh, history of an album and how well it did and why it was so popular. And this week we're going to talk REM's Automatic for the People. But before we get into that, hi, Evan. Hi. How are you? Not happy. Why aren't you happy? Just because. <laughs> I don't know if I need a reason to be angry. It's just my resting mood. All right. Um, I'm not in a bad mood. This is just who I am. Okay. So do you have any corrections from last week? Last week we did Joni Mitchell's Blue. Kind of. Okay, what's your correction? I think, well, it's not really a correction. It's more of a clarification that I did some research. Okay. So you said that they open that she opened a show with a Nazareth song. Correct. It took me forever to find some kind of information i got on setlist.fm trying to because you gave me a general idea of when the concert was mm-hmm. and where it was so i was going through trying to find a date or a venue on that date and try and look at the set list mm-hmm. and then it has artist statistics so it's able to look at like what songs have been played the most in concert and all that and i couldn't find a nazareth cover cover so if I'm interpreting this correctly, so they covered this flight tonight. Yes. So from what I'm interpreting it as, she said that she wanted to open it with a Nazareth song and play this flight tonight as her Nazareth cover. So she covered Nazareth cover of her own song? Yes, is I think how that ended up working out. So I think she played her version but she said that she was doing a cover of a Nazareth song. If she, I, she just announced it? Yeah. As I, that's not how... It, like, what I read to you was almost word for word what... what I mean, I, I do, you know, kind of reword things here. But, yeah. And I don't remember exactly which article. Yeah, because I was on uh, Vancouver Signature Sounds from... When was it? 2020. It was the end of December. But okay. It, well, I mean, I get it. It would make sense. Yeah, it said, This flight tonight became a worldwide hit for the Scottish band. Uh, as she began her concert, she told the audience, I'd like to open with a Nazareth song. Nazareth's version of This Flight Tonight. So it made it sound like that's what she opened I gotcha. it with. Okay. So a little... It's kind of cool. little kind of fun jab. And I know you asked me what Nazareth song, and I said I didn't know, but, I mean, that is, that's a deep dive into that, and I don't have time to do all these little rabbit hole things. They're good questions, but yeah, that, I was, that's not what this podcast really is. I saw, I, to do that. I know you said it, I was trying so hard to figure out which one it was, because I was, I was intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. And so, that didn't even occur to me that that's what it would have been. Yeah, but that's kind of funny. Um... But I think that's the type of person she was based on this, or what is, because <laughs> she's still alive. Um, based on the information I found, she just was kind of 
the happy-go-lucky kind of thing and so it's kind of cool um do you want the art the uh, author of that article real quick yes uh it was ray mcginnis ray mcginnis okay for december 20 or december 30th 2020 on vancouver signature sounds.com okay um so any grievances no 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 i'm just gonna cut that no because you still have i'm sure you have grievances with me so it gives you a chance i don't have a grievance this week actually i don't believe that i'm sure by the end of this episode you'll have a grievance probably several so we'll, we'll just get into it like i said we're doing rem's automatic for the people it was released october 5th of 1992 and is number 73 on this rock and roll hall of fame list and again that's the rock and roll hall of fame definitive list like 200 Albums. albums definitive list like the ones you gotta listen to um so automatic was rem's eighth studio album and came out at a time where rem was the biggest and most important rock group in america the album itself was kind of an, an anomaly at the time automatic came out after nirvana and at the height of the grunge movement but didn't focus on the angst that many of the grunge bands did Instead, the focus was more on the onset of middle age and that life keeps going. One article I read for this noted that Cobain might have headed in this direction had he lived. Um, it, well, this was, what what'd you say, 92? Mm-hmm. It was, it was right after Nevermind. Yeah, so I'm wondering if we got... I haven't listened to In Utero in a long time, but I'm wondering if there's any start to that. Because that's 93, I think. Right, but... That was also their, never mind, was what, their third album? Second. Second album. And Utero was their last one. So very early on, REM, like I said, this was their eighth. They had been around since the 80s. And um, so they're, they are middle-aged themselves, like getting into the middle portion of their life. So it, that's what this article was saying is REM and Nirvana kind of started similar areas of their life it's just rem was like a decade earlier so it had you know cobain lived and nirvana still moving on nirvana might have hit where this album was in the 2000s yeah which i get i'm just wondering if there's if you can see any start to this on in utero right um so it's kind of a natural progression for artists you write about what you know Stipe was quoted in a 1994 Newsweek interview as believing that Automatic was a punk record. It flew in the face of everything that was going down musically at the time. It was beautiful. It was quiet. Um, on their previous album, out of, which was Out of Time, it, it had a heavier rock sound to it, and the intention for Automatic was to create a more mainstream-friendly album. R.E.M.'s typical process is for the group to create the music sans Stipe, would you say it was out of time? Yes. Okay. Thank you for interrupting me. And so, starting a sentence over, their process is for the group to create the music sans Stipe, so without him, and bring him in when they had some demos, and then they'd work together to add the lyrics and tweak it and make it what they wanted. So they would give all this music to Stipe, and he would write the lyrics, and they, then they would kind of flesh it, like finish it out, make it polish it up, make it clean. Um, when presented with the demos for Automatic, Stipe's first reaction was pretty fucking weird. It was slow and melancholy, dark and reflecting. It contained a tremendous amount of beauty po- and poetry 
that hit you to your soul and it had breathtaking production and i am tripping over all of my words i apologize okay i'm gonna give you a chance to regroup real quick Mm -hmm. uh out of time has losing my religion and shiny happy people yes so they i I don't know shiny happy people but i know the title Yes, you would recognize it if you heard it. But they're coming out of a time when, like I said in my very first sentence, they were the biggest rock band at the time because of those two hits. They had done so well. And then they were trying to follow it up, but kind of went in a... Different direction. Yes, yes. Um, Out of time, here's my next note that I wrote two weeks ago. Okay. Look at me. I'm the captain now. Out of time was the album that launched R.E.M. into households everywhere thanks to the success of Losing My Religion. So they knew going in automatic that it was going to be hard to top. In doing so, they stayed true to their sound and themselves and while providing the necessary pop songs to get them on the radio. Are you happy? Are you happy with yourself that you just have to keep inserting yourself like five seconds before I say whatever it was I was going to say, way before you decided to join the group? Well... I didn't know if you were going to get to that sentence because you couldn't say the do last you, two do sentences. Do you know how you figure that out? You goddamn wait until I say the goddamn sentence. Evan, you are trying so hard not to laugh. I know nobody at home can see, but he is biting his lips and Mm-mm. he's stifling laughter. I'm not biting my lip. I'm pressing them firmly against each other. There are no teeth involved. If I, if I could give you a camera, go up through my chin, you could see that there were no teeth involved in that fucking weird uh just the, like this album the album release was weirdly timed with michael stipe's hair loss hear me out okay their previous album had debuted stipe with a dramatically shorter haircut than normal and through the video released for automatic singles fans began to notice stipe wearing many hats and eventually losing his hair also his, his religion, religion. <laughs> while this isn't something i would normally bring up Stipe noted that the loss of his hair was kind of an advertisement for this album in that he was using his hair as a security blanket and a way to hide himself, and this album displayed a vulnerable and naked emotion. The themes within Automatic include losing one's innocence, not being able to hold on to the past, the anxiety of growing older, older, and ultimately one's death. So I thought that was kind of interesting if you were to go back and look at early pictures of rem he had like beautiful hair and i don't know if i've ever seen going into this it got shorter and shorter and he was this was called his hat era because every video had a different hat because he was trying to cover it up and then the last video they released for automatic he had a backwards turned baseball cap so you could see that he didn't have hair so it was kind of I thought it was kind of interesting. Are you looking them up right now? Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm on Google Images. Automatic also discusses heavy political topics like poverty, the environment, and the neglect of the AIDS epidemic, yet contains only one explicitly political song, which was Ignore Land. Peter Buck is quoted as saying, We live in America. Look around. We're pretty much able to ignore reality. We have this great ability to pretend there's nothing wrong, that we're still a superpower, and it doesn't matter if we kill a couple hundred thousand people. Oh, and Reagan lowered taxes. In fact, taxes were raised 12 times during his reign. He lowered rich people's taxes. He and George Bush Bush made me rich, but my mom's taxes went up. 
She's a secretary. Most people are able to ignore all that and vote overwhelmingly for these guys who just out and out lie to you. And I know that's a very long quote, but does it sound familiar? Maybe a little bit. Like the whole scenario. This was, you know, 30 years ago. And it's still, and we, that, that I think is what surprises me the most as we're doing these. We keep looking at these albums. All of them are at least 10 years old. Well, they're all at least 20. Because the list was 2002. I thought it was 2017. Not this list. This list is 2000. It might be 2007. Okay. But, okay, so at least 20 years old. They're older albums. And we talk about the themes. Like, we talked about um, politics and, like, any album that came out, like, in the late 60s. So, you had Bob Dylan, um, Highway 61. We did The Doors. We um, had Jimi Hendrix. We did... Sgt. Peppers. Sgt. Peppers. A lot of them were around that time. And the 60s is, like a huge decade for like so much happened in the 60s and a lot of it in the last few years of that decade but every time we come to one and i read about the political significance or the social significance or like the message it was trying to convey i'm like why is this still so similar yeah x amount of years later and we're gonna like we got one coming up next week that is the same flipping thing. This huge social thing happened, and this album was kind of a response to it. And you can still see things happening today. It's like, why are we repeating ourselves? This is stupid. We are not learning anything. So I think it's just when I read that whole quote about the the taxes and and stuff, and it's like the politicians just out and out lying to you. It's like this is still happening, but. Moving on, off of Soapbox. Goodbye. Um, As with their previous album, the band decided not to tour to promote it. They spent 10 years touring, and they retired. They wanted to focus on making good music, and they knew in order to do that, they needed all of their energy and focus in the studio doing just that. So it's kind of like a Beatles situation, Mm -hmm. where they're just like, no, we're done. Yep, yep. So they didn't, out of time, they didn't, didn't um tour they just went right into the studio and continued this one and then they decided not to tour for it i'm gonna look something up while you keep going okay so i have two more notes before we go on to the the cultural impact okay i should have it by then and these are fun facts fun fact the title automatic for the people comes from a diner in the band's hometown of athens georgia it is the satisfaction guarantee slogan posted there the cover is a close-up of a star ornament from an old motel in miami Another fun fact, Led Zeppelin's John Paul Jones was brought in to arrange the strings. I think I did see that. Did you see that? I think you can kind of hear it, too. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, So, anything you would like to add before I go into the culture? I was trying to find uh, touring. they They did a little bit in 95. But they have, they've done a couple dozen shows in 98, about 60 shows in 99, but they they haven't really done much since. Looks like the last date was 
2016, and then the last date before that was 2009. Mm-hmm. So I was I was wondering if they were doing any or still. I don't know if they're still a thing. I don't know that for sure. But if they were, I didn't know if they were, if they kind of not gotten over it, but you know had the itch to go back out. Right. So, um, getting into the cultural impact and the charting and how it did here, Rolling Stone critic Paul Evans noted that the group were deeper than ever, grown sadder and wiser. The Athens subversives reveal a darker version, sorry, darker vision that shimmers with new complex beauty. He said it was musically irresistible. However, many people at the time, fans and critics alike, had a hard time separating the music from Stipe's hair loss, and rumors began about a potential health issue, which was not true. Yes. I just looked. Uh, disbanded in 2011. Mm-hmm. Automatic entered and peaked at number two on the U.S. Billboard 200 and went quadruple platinum in the U.S. and six times platinum in the U.K., selling over 18 million copies worldwide. It was also nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys, but lost to the Bodyguard soundtrack. But don't even get started <laughs> on soundtracks. Yeah, that's a, that's a discussion for another date. Uh, singles released were Drive, Man on the Moon, and Everybody Hurts, which is a song I can no longer hear without picturing the scene in the office where Dwight, Dwight sits in his Camaro listening to the song and being all down and depressed. Um, do you know what scene I'm talking about? Nope. Office hater. Um, Automatic may not fit into the sounds of other similar bands from the time, but its message and sound has gone on to influence and inspire others like Wilco, Arcade Fire, The National, and Radiohead. They were at the forefront of alt-rock, and there are so many artists that wouldn't exist today without that influence. The album became something relatable at the time for those that struggled with happiness. Automatic is full of sad-sounding, dark songs, and some people need that personal opinion automatic was to the 1990s as Joni Mitchell's blue was for the early 70s and Linkin Park's hybrid theory for the early 2000s I was just wondering if you were going to bring up blue it allowed you to be vulnerable and if you want to just be very black and white about it blue is but you're not being black and white you're being black and white and blue maybe black white and blue um sure okay (laughs) um blue if you were just to hear it you're gonna think this is chick music okay but it's the sad like i mentioned last week when we talked about it it's like the breakup stuff where you can imagine just stereotypical girl girl and boyfriend breakup and she's all sad and depressed and she's just gonna sit there listening to that wearing a sweatshirt eating eating the pint of ice cream yeah that's what I think automatic is for some people too, where it's just a darker sounding thing where they just, you may not be crying wearing a sweatshirt, sitting in the dark eating a pint of ice cream, but you might just be sitting there contemplating life. Crying. But it was, a, you know, and yeah. I mentioned kind of that was the same way with Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory, where Chester's lyrics and vocals, he made you feel vulnerable it was okay for men to have feelings so it's i think it's kind of interesting that we come across these different albums in these different decades that kind of do the same thing it's just for a different audience and it's evolving the way the fans are evolving and it's it's so i think if blue were to be released today it would not have done as well 
it's one of those that are it, it spoke to the generation of that time and it was passed down generation to generation kind of the same thing with this album i don't think this album would have done as well today but you know depending well, on your age you big brother you know uncle your dad might have even listened it, to it it you know? might because of the like um and i'm not i'm not comparing like the the lyrics and like the sound of it but i guess uh mumford and sons arcade fire national that you were talking about that stuff has a has an underground following to it. It may not mm-hmm. be, it may not go. What'd you say? Quadruple platinum. Yeah. But it may have this following. More to of it. an underground following. Yeah. I I think every generation you come across something. That that's not insanely popular like Sgt. Pepper's, but had such a vulnerable feel to it and allowed you to be vulnerable in its own way. And it to me, it's just interesting to see across the different decades what that is. Um, so, fun fact, and this is my last bullet here. Um, at the beginning of our Elvis episode, I briefly mentioned the conspiracy theory about Elvis still being alive. Okay. Which, again, we did not go into in that Elvis episode if you didn't listen to it. I, I mentioned a different podcast called That Spooky that really went into it and it was fun to listen to it um i don't remember the episode number but it was called what happened um where they talk about that man on the moon was written about andy kaufman who many also think is still alive it also contains the lyric if you believe they put a man on the moon which is which also plays heavy into the moon landing conspiracy it was also written as a response to Nirvana. Stipe notes that the challenge was to write a song with more yaz in it than a Nirvana song, and I managed to do that. I thought that was all, all those okay. things about one song. I thought that was. I may have funny. to listen to that again. Yeah, but I, I thought it was funny that we just did Elvis and and talk about have, conspiracies. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that was all all funny. So, um, you ready for my sources? Okay. Thank you to Automatic for the People by R.E.M. Not by R.E.M. Thank you to Automatic for the People, R.E.M. by Stuart Berman, published November 14th, 2017 on Pitchfork.com. Thank you to Automatic for the People, How R.E.M. Created a Soul-Searching Classic by Tim Peacock, October 5th, 2022 on YouDiscoveryMusic.com. Thank you to The Story of R.E.M. Automatic for the People by Colleen Murphy, No Date, on ClassicAlbumSundays.com. Finally said it right. Thank you to number 96, R.E.M. Automatic for the People, 1992 by Brett Schweitz, published May 13 on rs500albums.com. Thank you to The Genius of Automatic for the People by R.E.M. by Gary Walker, published September 23, 2020 on guitar.com. Thank you to R.E.M. Reflects on 25 Years of Automatic for the People by Robin Hilton, published November 2, 2017 on npr.org. Thank you to Automatic for the People at 25, Why R.E.M.'s Masterpiece is Still So Special by Zach Sconfeld, published October 5th, 2017 on Newsweek.com. Thank you to Goofing on Elvis Without Losing Touch, How R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People Finds Pride in Sadness by Matt Mitchell, published October 5th, 2022 on PaceMagazine.com. Thank you to Why R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People Still Feels So Vital Today by Jack Watley, published October 6, 2020 on faroutmagazine.co.uk. Thank you to Automatic for the People by Paul Evans on October 29, 1992 from The Rolling Stone. 
Thank you to R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People, the story behind every song by Martin O'Gorman, published October 5th, 2022 on radiox.co.uk. And thank you to R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People, the story behind every song by the Ultimate Classic Rock staff, published October 6th, 2022 on ultimateclassicrock.com. All right, so uh, go ahead, Evan, and give us your review. So I looked... When I was getting ready to do this, I looked at the track list, and I recognized two songs off of here. I recognized Everybody Hurts. And Man on the Moon. And Man on the Moon. Mm-hmm. And other than that, I know Losing My Religion. But I'm not really familiar with R.E.M. Mm-hmm. I know I know a little bit, like I said, I know the, the couple songs, but nothing major. Um... I had the same perspective of this as I've had of a couple recent ones and a couple that we had to end last year is that this is a hard album for me to get through. And I, I understand why you say that, but for the people at home that don't know you... I'm, I'm getting there. Okay. It's I know it's the same kind of time frame, but it's the same thing as like Crash Test Dummies. You know, it's it's not it's not elevator music, but it's very light. It's very slow. At least this album. I don't like I said. I don't know enough of the rest of REM to compare it. I don't know if that's a fair assessment of the band as a whole. But it's very light, very slow. We kind of ran into this with Joni Mitchell. We kind of ran into this with some others. That it's it's hard for me to get through because it's it's not necessarily droning on but it's a very monotonous very soothing kind of album right that that it's it's just it was just hard for me to get through okay. i mean there's not really anything that else that i have to say about it i kept man on the moon but as in so this rating is my personal opinion of it or what I think it would get as a whole. It's my personal opinion, right? Your personal opinion. Probably like a C. Okay. Just just cuz it was so hard for me to get through. Are you a, I It's norm- not your stuff. Well, I don't mind I don't, I don't mind crash test on me though. You know, I don't I don't mind it in small doses. Right. But I normally You like the heavier stuff. I like to take a nap after work kind of recharge just a little bit but i listened to this after work and it was i felt like i was gonna fall asleep so i was trying i was trying hard to stay awake because i knew i needed to get this done because we were gonna do this tonight Mm -hmm. but it was a struggle at points but that's also not necessarily a bad thing you're i mean you're saying it's not an album that you would actively listen to like on purpose but it is a soothing relaxing it's not terrible this was why you gave it the C rating. It's it's not bad. It's just not for you. But it's you not know, if you if you needed to pick a new one to help you relax to get ready to to go to bed. This might be one. It's not bad in small doses. Right. But as a, as a whole album like this, yes, it is bad for me. Okay. So I'm gonna read you word for word what I wrote for my first sentence. Okay. And again, I did these notes two weeks ago. Evan hated it. Going into this episode, I knew the songs that everyone instantly recognizes, Man on the Moon and Everybody Hurts, which is almost exactly what you said. (laughs) Um, I like those songs and I like R.E.M., but not enough to seek out their stuff. 
when they were big. I was turning 10, so I was only familiar with the songs on the radio or MTV, and I didn't have a lot of access to actively seek anything out on my own. And what I mean by that is I didn't have YouTube. I didn't have um, Spotify. Spotify or Pandora. You know, I didn't have... Back in the old days. Back in the days of yore. I did not have such devices and and ways of seeking things out. You were basically stuck to whatever was playing. And if I couldn't watch MTV, you, you're stuck to the radio. And it depended on the radio station that somebody else picked. And, and, I've, and I've gone into that briefly before. But that's one of my biggest problems with the radio. That's why I love all these. That's why I love doing what I do. Like what we're doing is listening to the entire album. Because it... It gives mm-hmm. you, it's essentially that, it was, it was a whole thing that I saw that you buy a CD, you listen to the entire CD. Mm-hmm. You're you're going to get your money's worth out of it. You're going to discover new things. Right. If you listen to just the radio, there's going to be a, so much out there that you're not going to have access to. Right. So REM, they've always been on my radar. I've always known who they were. Um, but it was very faint and they were more of a group that I wouldn't skip if they came on the radio or, you know, like Pandora, it, that's kind of the one streaming service that kind of started all of this and it would play like you'd pick an artist and then it would, so it would start with that artist and then it would play artists similar. If it would come up with REM, I wouldn't skip it. Yeah. Like I said, cause like I was saying, it's okay in small doses, yeah. but it's when you get to it's when you get to the broader. Yeah, so I was excited to get into this, and I thought it was so good. I think Drive and Find the River were amazing songs to open and close the album, and it was exactly what my re- research said it would be. It was vulnerable and emotional and alternative for the middle age. It was great. I added the whole album to the same playlist that I added Joni Mitchell's Blue to, and I think it's something I'd come back to it again and again when I was in the mood for that. Like, like kind of like you said, a small doses. I would need to be in the mood to listen to this. But we've come across a few albums like that where you kind of need to be in that mood. But I, I am, I did keep you know personal favorites. Everybody hurts Man on the Moon. I did like Night Swimming, which was new for me. I uh, no. I I listen. Don't know, I right? listened to it, but it all just kind of blended together. Yeah, but I gave it an A, so I I I liked it because I I just added the whole thing. Should I even bother asking for your final thoughts? Hold on, I do have a final thought that I'm going to help you determine a grievance. I'm going to sum up my entire episode. Say here, here's a grievance for you that I don't have a final thought. I handed it to you. Are you going to do anything with it? I'm going to just not even ask you anymore. That's what I'm going to do with it. So overall, I was very happy with this album. And as I said, I was only familiar with their mainstream stuff. So I, I'd like to check out some of their other things. I think, though, that it hits different for me today than it did when it came out. Like I said, when Automatic came out, I was 10. So I wouldn't have really listened to the lyrics. Don't. What was your face no, just now? Go ahead. What was your Go thing? ahead. You interrupt me every nope, other time. go ahead. But now that I'm 40, which is a lot closer to the age these guys were when they when it came out, these songs, they're about the middle age, which is where I am. So it means something different to me now. It was a lot more relatable listening to it now. And now you can say the stupid thing that's going to make me smother you with a pillow in your sleep. Nope. What? 
Evan. Nope. It's about my age, isn't it? What's my age again? God damn it. All right. Get into your question corner. Nope. I'm going to change things up. All right. Just just slightly. I'm going to give you a couple things for this day in history because there's no real good birthdays. And then I'm going to get to my question. Okay. Okay. So February 3rd. So February 3rd, 1990. This is a, this is kind of close to the birthday thing where I'm going to have you guess. Okay. Okay. For the first time ever. The UK top three singles featured non-British and non-American acts. Okay. So who are they? I have no clue. Do you have any guesses? Could you give me a hint? Non-British, non-American. No, I don't. I don't have a clue. One's from Ireland, one's from Australia, and the one you're not going to get is from Belgium. So is one U2? No. One ACDC? No. Then I have no clue. Sinead O'Connor. Why do you think I would have guessed that? Nothing compares to you. I know the song. I know that. But why would you think I would have guessed her? i just trying to think if you would have had anybody. And Kylie Minogue. I would have never guessed that either. Who's the last one? Uh, Technotronic. Yep. Which, that one I don't know. Uh, Nothing compares to you as her first number one single. Okay. So, and then we're going to go back. So... February 3rd, 1959. There were three people that died. Okay? Okay. Buddy Holly. Mm-hmm. Big Bopper. And Richie Valens. And Richie Valens. So it was the day the music died. Correct. So we're going into the question. Okay. okay? What do you think is the single biggest event in music history? It, well, in recent music history, so in the last, call it since 1960. The most important thing that's happened. I don't think you can answer that. Because, okay, if you take monumental albums out of the picture. Yeah. Woodstock happened in the 60s. Mm-hmm. The horrible double take of trying to do Woodstock twice. Again in the 90s? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it 94, 99, I think? Mm-hmm. Um, Altamont? That one I don't know offhand. That's where, like, the Hells Angels... Oh, the Rolling Stones show? Mm-hmm. Um, you have the gigantic... Um, I don't remember what it was raising money for, but you had the superstar thing. Oh, Live World. Aid? Live Aid? No, that's... The one you're thinking of is the Michael Jackson one? Yeah. No, Live Aid was the Queen Pink... That was the... That was the, like, the 20-minute okay, Queen show. You had the Michael, the Michael Jackson one. Yeah. Um, You have Tupac and Biggie. It's, it's hard to answer that question and say, this is the single most important thing that's happened because so many things in the music industry have happened and so many things even even if you throw those those popular albums in the mix we've talked about how they've spurred something else and this wouldn't have happened if this didn't yeah. happen so it's there is no answer to your question unless unless you're going to come at me with one and i'm going to tell you why you're wrong no they uh, no this is your opinion I, you my opinion is you can't answer that 
I'm wondering. I have I have a couple thoughts. What are your couple thoughts? One, I'm thinking Hendrix, because that completely changed what rock sounds like. Mm-hmm. Or and we did mention that the one critic said there's two distinct before and after. periods before and after. Or you yeah. could even go a little bit further than that. I think it's the Kinks when they slashed their amps to get some of that distortion. Oh, I didn't know that. I think it was the Kinks, because that. Because even you look at the early distortion, it's not necessarily what you think of like the Slayer distortion. But if you look at kind of surf music, mm-hmm. that's got a that's got a drastically different sound than some of the early rock. And you know, I don't. Again, I don't think that you can just narrow it down to something like that because it all plays off of each other. But that's that's kind of the purpose of our records wall. Is each album on this wall? is important for like some it has some significance to the music world and so i think it's you can't just say this is absolutely the most important thing ever because they all play off of each other which i get like you take okay we just did ray charles modern sounds in country music country and western music you know that one is our very first record on the wall and it was it was the first record done by a black artist that was widely accepted by a white audience without that you wouldn't have had hendrix and without hendrix you wouldn't have had you know like whoever else after him so it's so do you say ray charles is the most important event for black artists or do you say but elvis helped him because he took black songs you know, it's. I don't think you can answer that with a one definitive. This is what it is. Which I get. It just. I didn't know if you had. Would it be better if we say okay, top three? I still think that's hard because then, then the more you broaden it, it's going to be per- people's personal opinion. Because you can say Woodstock was the biggest event because it it was the biggest music festival of its time and it's still so iconic that 40 years later we're still talking about it you know and you know it by name and it's just a field in new york yeah you know um or you can say okay tupac and biggie that their whole battle was a west coast east coast battle that was mostly done all those battles they're not like battle battles i'm talking to rap battles that got out of hand and it changed the way that rappers really uh, some rappers like when we talked will smith his album came out and he was changed based on a reflection of what happened with tupac and biggie he wanted to be a more wholesome approach to make white people less afraid of black people yeah and so it's you have all these events that spur other events i don't think you can narrow it down to three because there are some people who aren't going to give a shit about the whole tupac biggie thing and some people who don't give a shit about woodstock you know so, so i think it's all personal opinion and it's the same thing as what do you think is the most influ- influential album ever? 
this list has said Sgt. Pepper's is the most influential, and you're saying no other albums are better. It's all personal preference. So I don't... Well, I think you can have... I think there's a difference between influential and best. Yes, but I still think it comes down to personal opinion. It's, it's not a bad question, because I'm only using the things that are coming to mind. I know there are a bunch of other things out there, but... Three words. Woodstock, Tupac, Biggie. You know exactly what I'm talking about and what I'm referring to. I mean, two of those go together, but you know what I mean? I I think Woodstock's more universal, but... Yeah. But, point is, I don't... It's a good question, but I think that's more of one of those, like open-ended essay questions that if you just stuck to a topic and give you know one specific thing like let's take woodstock and say this is important because of xyz and just list everything to it you can use it in a debate class but i don't think there's one specific i was just wondering what what like the first thing that came to your mind would have been i i don't know it's a it's a hard one it's a good question deep thinker but a hard one to, to answer so where can they answer where can people who you, are listening to this answer that question? Look at you doing a segue, Evan. Nice. I'm proud of you. Um, so there is proof of this. There's proof that she was proud of me at one point. One point for three seconds. That uh, find us that. on Instagram and Twitter at Worst Pod on Mars. Find us on Facebook at The Worst Podcast on Mars. Send us an email, worstpodonmars at gmail.com. Tell us, like, what do you think is the most culturally significant uh, event in music history to date? Well, in the last, like I said, I want to, I want to keep it recent because you can even go back to like the invention of the guitar, and we're gonna, right. we're gonna try and we're gonna try and stay modern. Okay, um, give us a rating, give us a review. Um, I, I'll read a review on here, and uh, you know. Tell us how we're doing, how we can improve. We like to make these changes. Come back on Tuesdays where we do mini episodes where we just do the review part and we each pick ones um, to torture the other person with. And uh, sometimes we're surprised and it's usually me being surprised. and you About my stuff. And you hating everything. And send us a review. We, we might do yours and come back next week for another full-length episode. Next week we're doing NWA's Straight Outta Compton. Bye-bye. Okay, so PETA put out the tweet, and this is somebody's response. Okay, so PETA says, Next time you think of eating a chicken, remember they had a family just like you. And this person responded, This is why I order a family bucket at KFC. Nobody gets left behind. (laughs) Do you you do your question first, or we do our... We do the review first. Okay, you go. I need a drink. We do this the same format. This is what you... Wasn't it last week that you said we do the same format every week? And you've already forgotten how to do it. Prove it.